Hey, Hub City, I am so excited to start our new series, The Jesus Paradox, and we're gonna be doing this for the next three weeks. But before we start this series, I think we need to define what this word paradox means. And what it means is this like crazy, absurd contradiction, but yet it is still true. Like something that is just opposite, but somehow it still is valid, somehow it is true. And as I was reading through scripture, it's kind of crazy to make this claim, but Jesus is a paradox, that he is at times contradicting himself and, and almost absurd, yet he is true and he is valid. And so for these next three weeks, we're going to look at Jesus's paradoxical nature. And what we're going to discover is that that paradox is filled with hope. It's filled with grace and it is filled with truth. And that is all found when we encounter Jesus. And I don't know if you look at it this way, but I almost see this past year, 2020, as a paradox that, yes, it was, it was really hard and it was really frustrating and it was scary, but there was also moments where we grew and, and we had fun and, and we were able to still thrive in 2020. So it's this paradox where, yes, it's like the most horrible year, but, but there's also some glimmering hope in 2020. And I think now that it's the new year, now it's 2021, it's always fun to look back at the year and see what we accomplished, right? It's, it's kind of this benchmark, you know, we, we accomplished another year and now we get to see what we have accomplished. And it's almost, it's almost like this highlight reel, like you see in sports after a game, they have this summary or a highlight reel where they have all the action, all of the, the drama and the climax in those highlight reels. But as I said, you know, 2020 was kind of hard. It was frustrating. It, 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 was, it was different for sure. And I feel like almost 2020 looks more like a, a blooper reel. So like if 2020 had a highlight reel or a blooper reel, this is what it would look like. So yeah, that, that is, is silly, and I kind of feel like that is what 2020 looks like in a high right, highlight real moment. But there's this thing about stepping into a new year, especially after 2020, where there is this New Year's reset, and there is just like this hope that comes with that reset. And we do this every year, right? We have these New Year's resolutions, and we try to create new habits, like, man, I'm gonna go to the gym, I'm gonna get ripped, right, I, I, and, and like get in shape, you know, I'm gonna have a, a whole new 
eating habit. I'm not gonna go to McDonald's anymore, right? I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna save some money, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna travel now, right? There's all these new things that we have hope to do. Like this year, I'm really excited. I got engaged in December and I am really looking forward to get, getting married this year. That is something that 2021 is bringing hope to me for, that I get to be married, that I get to start my life with Cameron and we just are gonna have a ball living life together. Another thing is, man, a vaccine is up and coming for COVID and man, I am hopeful that this will bring some normalcy to our lives that somehow in the near future, we can have this normalcy and, and being together in person. Man, there is, there is some hope that a new year reset brings. But can I just remind you, and I, I need this reminder myself, is that Jesus shows that hope arrives through him. That Jesus is the reason that we should have hope. Not, not this New Year's resolution, nothing new that's happening in 2021, man. Jesus is the reason that we get to cling to hope. And, and there's this scripture that, that this whole series is really based around on. And, and I think this is something that, that brings hope to our life. It's found in John chapter one, verse 14. It says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We read that again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we see that, that Jesus' presence on earth changes everything. Because he came to this earth, man, the world and, and, and the future after that, man, it is changed forever. And, and I think of this, this movie, Back to the Future, and, and there's these characters, Marty McFly and, and Dr. Emmett Brown. And what they do, they are, are time travelers, right? And they have this really cool car that is a time machine. But what happens when you mess with time travel? Man, you affect the future. And, and there's this, this line that doc, Dr. Emmett says. He says, man, we have messed up the time continuum. That he draws this line and it's like this alternate um, future. It's this alternate time continuum because they messed with time travel. They changed the future. And because Jesus has dwelt among us because he has made his presence known on earth. Man, Jesus changed up the time continuum. He impacted my future, he impacted your future. Because Jesus has come to dwell on this earth, to dwell among us, sin is no longer in control of our future. Jesus is in control of our future. It says in Romans 6 that we are no longer slaves to sin. Man, Jesus has affected the time continuum and he's impacted our future. But here's the thing. The way that Jesus dwells on this earth, the way that he like changes the time continuum is a paradox, it's contradictory, right? It's absurd almost. And the way that Jesus does this is this fancy, big Christianese word called the incarnation. And basically what this means is that Jesus, he added humanity, but he did not subtract his deity. That he remains man and God. 
right? Like that is a, a paradox. It is, is something crazy. It's absurd, but it's true and it's valid. Jesus is a paradox of 100% man and 100% God. They did not teach me that type of math in school, but somehow it is still true. It is valid. But here's the thing. Why, why did Jesus dwell among us like this? Why did Jesus not just come down and defeat sin and, and not go through all of this work, right? Why, why did Jesus dwell among us like this? Why did he have to do it in a paradoxical way? It's because Jesus, the, the Jesus paradox is the only one uniquely suited to take on our sin. Over Christmas break, um, my mom and I had um, the privilege on working on some puzzles. And I love puzzles. They're a lot of fun. They make me feel smart and talented. When I put all the, those puzzle pieces together, it's something good for my brain to do. Um, that's not watching TV or video games, right? I, I feel good about it. And puzzles are all fun and games until um, two things happen. The first is this. Uh, we, were, we were doing a puzzle over Christmas break, and my dog, Bowie, decided to eat a puzzle piece. And he, like, he destroyed it, right? Like, this is not salvageable. Like, it, he just destroyed it, right? It was my fault for, like, letting it be on the floor and leaving it there. But my dog, Bowie, man, he took a hold of that puzzle piece and he destroyed it. And the thing about this is like, you, you think it's not that big of a deal, right? But I kind of have a big ego, right? And, and we finished this puzzle, but technically we didn't finish this puzzle because there was one piece that could not finish the puzzle, right? Like we put all of this time and all of this work, but technically it will never be finished ever in history because one of the puzzle pieces is destroyed. That just makes the puzzle not fun because it can never be completed. And the other reason why sometimes puzzles can get frustrating is when you encounter the part of the puzzle where there is 50 blue pieces that are all the same exact shade. It's like part of the sky or, or, or something else, right? They're all the same. And it is so frustrating, right? It can be really demoralizing when you are putting one piece in there and it doesn't fit and then you try the next one and like 50 pieces later you still can't get it. And then of course how it always goes is the last piece that you try, it's, it's gonna fit. All right, but sometimes I'm impatient and, and I know that's not good, but there'll be points and times where I just like, I want to smash a piece in a spot where it doesn't belong and just say it belongs there because I'm just ready to be done with the puzzle and I'm frustrated, I'm getting flustered and it doesn't fit, but I'm gonna pretend that it fits there, right? But here's the thing, I, I, I think I can do this with my sin problem too, where I'm, I, I'm trying to fix my sin problem but there's, there's this empty part in my puzzle or in my life, right, and I am trying to shove puzzle pieces that doesn't fit in that hole, that is not the perfect puzzle piece there, but I'm just, I am trying to force things like, like relationships that I think are gonna fix my problems or, or people or substances. But the thing is, that, that spot is, is only for Jesus, Jesus is the only one that uniquely can fit in that spot. He is the only puzzle piece that can fit, fit, fit there. 
You see, Jesus and his paradox nature is the only puzzle piece because he is 100% man and 100% God that can fix our sin problem. It says in 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And you see, God paid a steep price for your ransom and for my ransom to be able to fix the sin problem that we are so obsessed with. And as it says in this this passage in 1 Peter, it was not silver, it was not gold. It was not your effort, it was not my effort, it was not relationships or people or substances that fixed our sin problem. It was the sacrifice of the precious blood of Christ that, that God sent his one and only son to die for you and to die for me. And in the Old Testament, we see um, that, that people would offer a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. That, that meant it was uh, perfect. It, w- it was the only thing that could make them righteous before God. That was how they were made right before God. That's how they fixed their sin problem. But you know what? Jesus stepped in in your life, in my life, as the unblemished lamb. That he was sinless and he was the only one uniquely suited to pay for our sins because of that identity of being that lamb. You see, Jesus had to be this paradox, this contradiction of man and God because we needed a human to pay for our human sins, but we needed someone who was innocent of those sins from all sin. I kind of look at it like this, where we're going into this job interview, right? And and we, we slide our resume over the table to the boss and they're looking at, at, at our resume and man, we are underqualified, we are uneducated. We don't fit the job description. Yes, we're human, but man, we are full of sin, not, not able to conquer that. But then Jesus sits down for his interview with the boss and, and he, he hands over his resume and, and it says, he's human, check. Never has sinned, check. Savior of the world, check. Jesus fits this job description perfectly as the unblemished lamb in our life. In Hebrews 4, 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is Jesus who who we're talking about here, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Jesus paradox is at it once again. Jesus is 100% human, 100% innocent. And through this paradox, through through Jesus's contradictory nature, God's will was to take on humanity through this paradox of Jesus, and then through death, and then through resurrection, He lifted you and I to humanity because the Bible says that we could identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus because he represented you and I on that cross. You see, Jesus is the only puzzle piece that reunites us with our heavenly father. And that hope that I was talking about earlier arrives through the Jesus paradox. 
And guess what? This hope uh, of Jesus and, and his paradoxical nature is fully present and fully available to us today. When we look at, at John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that, that the word dwelled among us, and it can also be translated into pitched a tent or tabernacled. And this is like one of the coolest, like nerding out on, on Bible language thing that I have ever seen. Because understanding the history of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, right? This is the place where, where God's presence was. In the Holy of Holies, that's where God's presence dwelled. And, and in the Old Testament, only the high priest was able to be in that room. And it was only once a year that there was just this almost barrier between people and God's presence. But what this good news of John 1, 14, 14 is saying in the Old Testament, that's where God's presence abided. But today, because Jesus dwells among us, Jesus is the place where we meet God today. That Jesus is literally tabernacling in your heart. That he has pitched a tent. And what this says, man, Jesus is here for a permanent stay in a permanent way. That he is dwelling in your heart forever. He's tabernacled there. And the commentators write that the ancient Jews reading the scripture was like, this, this does not make any sense. This has to be impossible because God is way too high and mighty for him to be able to, to dwell with, with me. They thought, how could the creator of heaven and earth want to dwell with them? And what, what it's kind of like is they're almost starstruck. Like, God like actually wants to seek me out and be with me. It's like Tom Tom Hanks or like Leonardo DiCaprio is like, "Hey Tyler, you want to go get some coffee today? I just want to hang out with you." Right? Like that seems ludicrous. Like why would Tom Hanks call me? He's a celebrity. He's prestigious, right? I think we too can think of God as too high and too mighty and too all-powerful that why would he want to be with me, right? It is crazy to think that, that God wants to actively seek after me, especially when I am a sinner. But here we go again. We have another paradox. Is that we are a group of people that constantly run away from God. That, that we do the opposite of what he has told us to do. Yet he actively and aggressively seeks after his people and wants to be with them. The message uh, translation of John 1.14, I think even brings more light to, to what we're discovering here. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus is actively seeking to move into your neighborhood, into your heart. And I want you to think about all of the effort that Jesus went through so he can be with you, so he can dwell among you, that he can be in your neighborhood. Jesus comes to earth as a baby boy through a virgin birth. He's born in a cave. 
He becomes human. And, and, and we see in the desert, man, he faces every temptation that you and I face. And he has to walk through that every day. And he suffers on a cross, innocent of a crime that he committed. Actually, a crime that you and I put him there on the cross. Yet he stands there and, and, and was, was punished, was tortured, all while being innocent. He humiliated. And then he dies. And not only does he die, but he comes back to life so he can reunite with you that he can dwell among you. Jesus went through all of this, all of that, so he can settle down in your neighborhood. And what, what I love and, and what Jesus is speaking to me right now is that, man, I don't have to struggle to find him. And that's because he came to find me. He came to find you. He came to dwell among you. And he was a paradox to be able to do that. Can you just be reminded today that Jesus is real? Jesus is here. And Jesus wants to connect with you. He is knocking on your door and he's asking to move into your neighborhood. And, And as I'm I'm thinking about this this picture of Jesus moving into our neighborhood. Maybe it's for the first time, and I just wanna give some of you the opportunity who who haven't invited Jesus into your neighborhood or into your heart to give you that opportunity to do that for the first time. Or maybe you're someone who, yeah, Jesus was living in your neighborhood, but you you kinda closed the door on him, and you forgot about him. And Jesus is is continuing to knock on that door and you are interested in opening that door again. And I just, I wanna pray with you and and just walk with you as you say yes to Jesus. As he he tabernacles in, in your heart, as he moves into your neighborhood. Can I just pray for you for a second? Lord, we are so grateful that you dwell with us that you dwell among us, that you have pursued us, that, that you have taken the form of a man, that you, you are a paradox in order to reconnect with us. God, and we, can, we just, can we just say yes to you? Can we open that door that, that you're knocking on to move into our neighborhood, to move into our heart? God, may we give you permission to take control of our lives, that we can trust you with everything that we are. Lord, make us new. Lord, make us white as snow through your sacrifice. God, we trust in you, we believe in you. We believe that you died on the cross to save us from our sins. God, and we say we're sorry for, for all that we've done. And we know that you will forgive us, that you are just to forgive us. God, and, and we just commit our lives to you. God, we say yes to whatever you have in front of us. God, we thank you for all the effort that you have gone through to be with us. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. 
Thanks for listening.